After many failed attempts, I finally regained my strength and I never looked back. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. For any new listeners, my name is Andrea. I am a recovering shit show, and I am also an adult child. And if you're an adult child, well, you are in the right place. And if you're not an adult child or you don't think you're an adult child, you're still in the right place because you're probably an adult child and you just don't know it or you just don't want to admit it. But let me tell you that there is absolutely nothing shameful or embarrassing about being an adult child or about growing up in a dysfunctional family and that this has impacted your life as an adult. In fact, we embrace that shit around here because it is through that pain that we have been forced to do this hard yet deeply rewarding inner work to live as our authentic selves, to live a fulfilling and meaningful life. And today's guest is a beautiful example of that. Today we are diving deep with Chantel Branch. Chantel is a, well, really, what what is she not? <laughs> she is a, a podcast host. She is a self-love coach. She is a former cosmetologist. She is an author. But most importantly... She is a survivor and a thriver. Chantelle is somebody who has endured some pretty horrendous shit and has not only survived it, but done the hard work to heal. And as a result, is living a beautiful life and is also helping others who are in the shoes that she once was to heal and grow and thrive. So she is a domestic violence and abuse specialist, and she is also the founder of My Fearless Future, which is an organization that provides mentorship and support groups for young women in urban schools to help them build their self-confidence and their self-esteem, to help them improve their decision-making skills, and to help them live their very, very best lives. So trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Chantel's story does include physical abuse. Um, Chantel's story does include intimate partner violence. So just wanted to note that right off the bat. So before we get to Chantel, just a few housekeeping items. Number one, just a reminder that we have the How to Quiet the Inner Critic, a Shut the Fuck Up workshop with Saskia Lightstar on Sunday, July 10th. Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. This is on Zoom. See show notes for link to buy a ticket. Again, this is 20 bucks for Patreon members, 30 bucks for everyone else. There is also a an option to purchase the replay if you are not available at that particular time. Next, I just want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon members. Patreon is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups. It's also where you can say, Hey, thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. Here's five bucks a month. Guys, that is the ability to uh, attend three 
weekly groups for as little as a dollar twenty-five. It's like, you know, you go to a 12-step meeting, you put a buck in the basket. I mean, I'm not a 12-step meeting, but this is my job. And uh, a girl's got bills to pay and a girl's got to eat and a girl's got a, a cat to feed as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Justin, Sarah, Kristen, Jessica, Sarissa, Fallon, Mike, Mimi, um, Koniha, I'm sorry, I know I'm not saying that right. Ami, Karuna, also probably not saying that right. Please forgive me. Teresa, Haley, Vic, Jennifer, Samantha. Thank you. You guys are the shit. And of course, please follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Adult Child Pod. And please, whatever you do, please give me a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, y'all. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm super excited for you guys to get to hear this lovely lady. We have Chantel Brand. She is a self-love specialist. She is the host of the podcast Identity of a Woman, and she is also the founder of My Fearless Futures. Uh, trigger warning for everyone today, because we we'll probably will get a little dark at times. Um, I I got your book changed by boundaries. I read, I, I read about half of it last night. Oh my goodness. The first thing I want to ask you though, is so I had never heard the term intimate partner violence so much until this Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. So I want to know, did you follow it at all? I did not follow okay. it. And I think because it was just so trendy and I was just trying to keep my mind clear and everybody else was following it. So I was like, I'll just hear what's happening. I was obsessed. Oh my God. Really? I wanted to ask you because mostly what I heard was people who, who followed it closely, who had experienced, who have experienced intimate partner violence said, "Uh uh-uh, she's full shit. So by the way that she was, so I was curious if you had um, an opinion on it. Okay. So this is what I want to ask you. So in this arena, this adult child healing stuff, we talk about how important it is to set boundaries and how we have no boundaries. And so I'm wondering, what did you mean by the title chained by boundaries? That is an excellent question. So the metaphor, if you will, I was thinking of a woman who is in a intimate partner violence relationship, domestic violence relationship. She's caught in the cycle of violence and she has children. She's given up her financial control. Mm. She's given up her verbal control. She's being, you know, abused. And it doesn't always have to be physical, as we know, mm-hmm. but she is experiencing abuse. And she's chained by, or the individual is chained by their partner's boundary. So their partner has a boundary. You can't go here. You mm-hmm. can't ask for money unless you talk to me. And so mm-hmm. she's chained by her partner's boundaries that are imposed on her uh-huh. that are imposed on her and the i the or the part that is kind of crazy or just weird or ironic or i'm probably not using the right word is she's lost her own boundaries she doesn't even realize that she's chained by another person's boundaries and she has none at all mm-hmm. and so that is the reason for the title, the title. by boundaries yeah 
I want to start with this relationship that you were in this abusive relationship. So, but first what I want to ask you is because you were pretty young when you met him prior to him, had you been in a relationship that was abusive no. a romantic relationship? No, no. Okay. So this was somebody that you knew for a while. Did you grew up with each other or you went to the same school went or to high school together? Okay. So you'd known each other for a while and then you started to date after high school after high school. Yes. Okay. So it was several years, several years, or how long was it until he hit you for the first time? Well, we dated, I mean, I went to college and I worked at Disney world. I, I really had a great life. <laughs> so I did a lot of stuff and we didn't date till I, I would say early twenties. maybe. Okay. So it wasn't until, and I was still traveling and doing different things um, as far as my career. And I would say once I got back home and just settled and we were seeing each other regularly. So, and when I think about it, now that you ask, it was actually in the beginning, a long distance relationship because I was traveling for my career. I was living in Alaska at the time. Fairbanks, Alaska. What were you doing? So by trade, I am a cosmetologist. I've been in the beauty industry for 22 plus years and I was doing hair. And it, it was a great, it was just a fun experience. Young, no kids, traveling, just doing different stuff. I just come from my run at Walt Disney World, working at as a lifeguard in Walt Disney World. So I was just, in my eyes, having, doing what young people should do. What the hell were you doing in Alaska? I met a woman who said that it was great money there to do hair. And I never been to Alaska. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And was it in the winter or in the summer? No, it was okay. definitely the winter. And I came home at the beginning of the summer, at the beginning. No, sorry. It was definitely the summer. And I came home at the beginning of the winter because it was too cold. I don't know. Dark. How it was, and dark and gloomy and sad. Mm-hmm. And, okay. That's not true. Everybody that's listening from Alaska. I know that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Whatever. <laughs> but it it was it was it was different but it was an experience I would never ever forget Mm -hmm. so you talk about that one incident in the car Mm -hmm. would you classify that as the first time that he was abusive or just the first time that he was physically abusive I would say the first time that he was physically abusive Mm -hmm. there were some signs well that's what I wanted to ask you so what were some red flags that perhaps you missed I definitely missed them. It wasn't until I was in counseling when I was asked, did you see signs in the beginning? And so because again, it was long distance and maybe he would call and leave a message. Sometimes the message, it didn't sound aggressive to me, but it began to be aggressive and like, where are you, what are you doing? Who are you with? And, and then it was a chuckle behind it. So I blew it off. I brushed it Mm -hmm. off and not realizing, Oh, and of course, we are hundreds of miles. We're very far apart. So it's like, whatever. And again, not necessarily serious because I am living in a whole nother state, very, very far away. Um, and so those were, and it, it happened a few times, not a lot, but those were some, that was definitely some signs that I missed. And of course, me thinking now, paying attention to those text messages and those voicemails, I should have just not even 
um, engaged um, in conversational relationships once I returned home. I should have just, hey, he doesn't have to know I'm here. Let this fall by the wayside because it's not, it's not, it wasn't good in the beginning. And although it seemed good, there were two, it was signs that I missed. And those small, because sometimes we think it's a small sign. It's a text message. Yeah. And I would think that we can take that as like, oh, wow, they really like me. Yes, 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 absolutely. How long do you think from that first incident to when it became a very regular occurrence within your relationship? Right away. So I remember it was, yeah, I remember the first time he hit me and then it was maybe two weeks, three weeks later. I remember because it was, I came home in October and I remember us starting to go on dates and do, and hang out and do things in November. And the first time was in November and then uh, maybe two or three weeks later, it was at the end of November, November. So I remember it right away. I remember being shocked. I remember I, it was ex, if you automatically go into denial, mm-hmm. this didn't just happen. He didn't just slap me. Like mm-hmm. I literally said that he didn't just slap me. No, I'm driving my car, you know, driving, you know, and, but it, it happened and I completely denied it. Mm-hmm. What do you think that was about? As I progressed through my healing journey or my personal development, I know a lot of it had to do with my childhood and how I was raised. I mean, even as a teenager, I rescued my friends and other women from relationships and girl, you shouldn't do that. And I, I definitely said I would never be in a relationship with anybody that hits me. And it was like, I had to eat those words and because I, I ended up in a relationship and I didn't leave and I stayed right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you also kind of deny it in your interaction with him? Like, was there ever a point where you ever said, Hey, if you do this one more time, I'm going to leave. I think, Hmm. No, I had lost my voice early, early on in that relationship. Um, And I think just for all the listeners, when you have your eye on somebody and you think that you really want this person, and then you finally have the opportunity to be with them, Mm -hmm. it's almost as if you'll do anything and accept anything, although you know it's not good for you. Were friends or family aware at all? Like, would they see bruises on you or anything? No, that was actually a time when I started to wear makeup. I got really... Um, as creative as I could get, I started getting a lot of bruise. I started getting a lot of busted lips, a lot of black eyes and um, mm-hmm. bruised, bruised cheeks. And, um, and I worked in a downtown Chicago salon. So you have to show up ready for work. That's not a job where you can just go in and I'm going to get my hair together. No, you need to come in polished because of the kind of clientele that's coming into the salon. And so because of my job, I got really creative and I learned how to become a makeup artist um, because I had to hide my bruises. Um, And nobody, nobody said anything because I know it was times when I would go to the bathroom and I say, oh my God, I did not do a good job, you know, powdering my face. Um, And so I remember those were frantic, frantic, frantic times. I can imagine. 
So when, when was the first aha moment where you're like, I have to get the fuck out of this? That it happened. I would say still early on, maybe. And this is, again, I'm talking once I'm back from traveling, I'm settled and I am looking for work or about to start at the downtown Chicago salon. And I would say maybe within four to six months after that, Mm -hmm. not even maybe about four months after that, I became a punching bag. I, if um, I was Mm. hemmed up in the corner and it was a lot of just blows to my body. And I remember thinking I couldn't see, I felt like I was in a, a boxing ring or something. And I was like, and I couldn't see, I was delirious. I just wanted it to stop. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of individuals who are in relationships when it, especially when it is physically abusive Mm -hmm. on top of emotional, verbal, all that stuff, that physical pain, you're like, I just want it to stop. I would do anything for it to stop. And I remember that was like, that was one of the, the worst times I knew I needed to leave, but I just felt alone. I felt desperate because um, I had let this person into my life, into my apartment. I didn't feel that. I knew I didn't have enough strength to physically move this person out of my apartment. Um, I was afraid to call the police. I didn't think that they would help me. You know, it. I just didn't see at that time, I didn't see my value, my worth. I didn't see uh-huh, uh-huh. there was always a way out. Let me be very clear. There is always a way out. You as the individual at, who is being abused, neglected, has to see it. The person sees it. Everybody around you can see it, but you have to see it. And I just didn't see that for myself. And I didn't think that I thought that I deserved that uh-huh. or I did something wrong to him because it's always the blame. You did uh-huh. this or you didn't do that. And, um, and that was my mindset. That was where I was. So how long was the relationship until you left and you had kids, right? Yeah, probably about almost three years. Wow. One kid Uh, with him or how many? Yes. One kid with him. So I left on a Monday Mm -hmm. and prior to that, that Friday, I remember waking up. I remember having to do clients because it was a holiday and I had clients scheduled and I remember. So you continue to work, which I guess is good, right? Cause you, at least you had I a always, source of yeah. income coming in, which is a reason that a lot of women don't leave, right? It's because they don't have any income. True. And then, but then it got to a point where it was like, Hey, how much money did you make today? Give me your, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and it got to the point where, um, like a pimp, <laughs> I literally really felt, I was like, Oh my God, I'm being pimped. I am being pimped. But by the time that started taking place, I was really fed up and I just needed a safe way to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it wasn't just me anymore. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. me. I needed to, to get out um, safely without, without him knowing. So I woke up, I remember being um, strangled <sighs> um, till uh, I was unconscious, till I couldn't breathe, till I couldn't see. <sighs> until my world was black. And I, I just prayed right in that moment, silently. I don't remember my body falling. I don't remember, I don't remember anything after that. And I just asked God to let me live. Um, 
because I knew I needed to live and I knew, I just knew I needed to live. And it was like in an instant, my world opened, the lights came back on, my eyes opened and I was like gasping for breath. But I remember just taking a really deep breath and just breathing in deep. And I was so happy for that air, for that, for my eyes to open, for me to, yes, I was still in that place, but he was no longer strangling me and I I could get up and I knew that that was it girl you to me girl you just died Mm. you have to make it out of this or you won't get up again and that was just what I heard and what I knew to be true because of everything that I had gone through in the last few years um and so I just planned, you You have to have a, several plans. There was, now there's agencies and advocates like myself that will help you do safety plans and, um, you know, someone you can talk to and their support groups, but I didn't have that. I didn't know where to look for that for. So I remember just planning. I remember packing. What planning. was your plan? My plan was to just leave while he goes to work. When he goes to work, you get out of there and go to a shelter. Mm -hmm. That was it because I didn't want him to look for me in my family's house. I didn't want my family to be involved and try to protect me. And then they end up hurt. And then our relationship is damaged. And, you know, I just wanted to, I just needed to be free. I was really at my, at the end of the rope. And I remember packing some clothes, packing what I could, throwing things in my car. I remember being fearful and afraid because once he would leave home he would circle back around and um to make sure I don't know it was just a a thing that he had um to make sure nobody else was sneaking in the house it was just all all type of of things that just didn't make sense yeah paranoid behavior Mm -hmm. very 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 paranoid behavior and um when I finally felt like okay it is definitely time this he should be at work and you got to book it. And I would just remember running. Uh, I took, I took, I took uh, my daughter to the daycare and I just remember I, I, it was just a normal day, you know? And I remember to him, you know, um, I did the same things that I would always do. I didn't change up any of my routines. And then I, I always did laundry on mm-hmm. Mondays because it was, we, I was in a salon over the weekend. So I always did. That was my day to, that was my time do mm-hmm. laundry and, groceries and you know errands and I remember running to the car with plastic containers Mm. um, throwing it in a truck and I remember I left everything I just took what was necessary and needed and um, I grabbed my money that I was that I had hidden away because I began to stow away money especially I mean because once the financial, it was always a financial piece, but once I really, because by this time I'm building myself in the salon and things were looking a little bit different because, you know, some years, like two, two years had passed. So, um, I was, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm being pimped. So I started and a woman at the salon told me, she said, when I left my man, you know, I started hiding my money and um she told me you know little places that she began to hide money and she was like when I got ready to go I just started grabbing all those little things and and getting my money and so I did what she said and so I had I had a couple you know a couple hundred nothing 
nothing major yeah, nothing here. to live off of. <laughs> nothing to live off of but at least something. i can yeah something right i have gas money if i need to eat I, and i wasn't worried about food i would i would worried about food um and i remember just running grabbing everything that i could throwing it in my car mm-hmm. i had a ford focus and i remember driving off not knowing where i'm going what i'm doing I remember sitting by the side of the road, crying by the side of the expressway, crying. I just drove to different Mm. spots and I'm like, and it's like literally in that moment, it's like you're looking at your life and you're like, what is happening? How did I get here? How did I get here? What is going to happen in the next hour? Where the hell am I going to sleep? But I was desperate enough. I would have slept in my car because I knew that I didn't need to go back. And I remember crying at a grocery store just weeping it just happened to rain that Mm. day and I remember the 1-800 DV number I think it was 877 at the time but anyway I remember calling it they would play it on the radio and I called it and they connected me all the way because it's a national they connected me all the way to a shelter um it's probably about an hour outside of where I lived at the time and to me it was the best news I ever had in 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 all those years it was the best news and I always heard scary stories of shelters I was just ready I was like if I went through that I could take on Mm -hmm. a crook not a crook Mm -hmm. but a (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, you know if a homeless person is trying to hurt me and my Mm -hmm. baby Uh, and I was so ready for the worst and it was the best decision I ever made um getting connected to that shelter picking um you know and driving out there that night you know, getting my daughter driving out there that night. What did you tell her? Do you remember? No, I'm telling her she was a baby. I, I did. I did have an older daughter. My oldest daughter. Um, she still was a toddler. She always would encourage me to leave because mm. she knew that mommy was being hurt mm. and she knew it was wrong. And even on days when he would go to work mm-hmm. and she would look out the window, and she was three. Mm. And she would come and say, mommy, come on. And she would get the baby's um, bag and say, mommy, come on. He's gone. Let's get out of here. And I was so <sighs> caught in the cycle. I was weak. I'm, I, I just think we have to be honest. Like if you're weak in an area, you, I was too weak to get up at during those times. But I don't know. I just think it was an encouragement. You know, mm-hmm. um, this little baby keeps telling me mm. what's what's happening here. It's not good. And finally, I was able to get out. Um, and she she went with the flow. She was a great helper. And one of the things that all of the women say when we when we would have group therapy and in, in shelter is the first night we all slept like a baby. Mm. And I hadn't slept in years because I never knew who I was waking up to. Um, it was just a fear. But I woke up and the sun was hitting me in my face. I kind of set up like, oh, my God, where am I? What's happening? Mm. But it was a, it was a brand new hotel. Uh, it was a DV shelter. Not, did I say hotel? It felt like a hotel. We used to pretend and call it a hotel. <laughs> it was brand new, state of the art. Mm. It was only maybe a year old. And everything was built, all the programs, everything was built specifically for um, women with children mm. um, experiencing domestic violence. So it was... I was supposed to be there and it was the the safest place for me. Um, And it helped me see myself again. It helped me 
um, see my decisions. And one of the things that they really honed in on, on was self-sufficiency. So then how did you navigate? I mean, did you take time off work for a while or what did you do? I didn't because I am the sole, per, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing it on my own. Did you put a restraining order against him? Like what, how did you navigate so he wouldn't show up at your work or what? Eventually, eventually I got a restraining order. And when you're in shelter, they do, it is a big encouragement or also some um, require that you get a, a restraining order and I got a restraining order. It was, it was a hard process. Um, and this wasn't my first restraining order. Mm-hmm. This was my second one because even when we, I tried to leave before and I got a restraining order, I never filled it. So I had the 21 day, mm-hmm. um, we have a, tw- well, at the time we had a 21 day emergency order and I just never went back to court to get the full thing. And so once I was in shelter, the restraining order helped, mm-hmm. um, it did help. It did help as much as it could. Um, and I think once he was in violation of it and I actually made the step and at the time I was, um, and this was, uh, a little while later, probably about a year later, I began to date my now husband and he, he didn't know what was going on, but he said he knew something had happened and he just wanted to be there for me. And, um, and so when he did violate the order, my husband, well, we weren't, we weren't married yet. Um, he was like, you have to go to the police station. You need to do. And I was like, I don't know. I'm so afraid, but he was like, I'm going to go with you. Mm. And once I took that step, that really stopped a lot of things because the police were like, Hey, you already have an order and you violated it. And so that really helped stop the stalking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was stalking, it wasn't out in the open, like, Hey, I'm here. Like, cause, because I was stalked, um, for a while, I was stalked for a while, mm-hmm. but once again, once I started, um, dating my husband or he would again, try to, you know, stalk me and then, Oh, Oh, she's with the guy again. She's mm-hmm. Oh, the man again, he's still there. <laughs> so, um, so that really curved it. The police, the restraining order, violating the restraining order, me taking that step because it is a big step. And I don't believe I would have took the step without my husband encouraging me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I would have just went home and was like, and thought about it. Maybe I would have talked to some more people and said, oh, well, could you go to the police station with me? My husband was there. Mm-hmm. He said, we're, we're going, going now. Yeah, we're going now. And I was like, I don't know. I don't. And I was because I was so afraid. It was so much fear. It was years of fear that was still in me. It was like the residue was still there after the relationship. And a lot of times we don't see it. Women just go and jump in a new relationship and you're you're just filled with scars and residue and you're going to mess up that next person. Yeah. Or you're going to attract somebody just the same. Just the same. Yeah. So I'm assuming once you get into the shelter, they set you up with counseling I'm assuming oh yes uh-huh. counseling so you have one on well we had you had one-on-one therapy and then, and then you have group counseling I wasn't a good one-on-one person no I was in denial I was like I you know she was the one who asked did you see anything you know early on and I'm like well what is she talking about what does she mean did I see anything mm-hmm. of course I did not you know and I'm still 
coming from a place of, I was angry that I was in that relationship. I was angry that I stayed so long. I was angry that I'm living in a shelter. Mm -hmm. Although it was great. It was nice. Um, I, I had a lot of anger and fear and just a lot of emotions going on. Um, and I didn't talk. So it wasn't like I was sitting in therapy and we're having a conversation like we did now. Nope. You will be the only one talking yeah. and I will give you <laughs> yes, no, I don't know. And that was pretty much how I was. But group therapy really was the key to me hearing other stories mm -hmm. and realizing that we're in this together. Their story sounds like your story. Mm -hmm. And we are all um, working towards creating a, creating a better life for ourselves and our children. Mm -hmm. So when you look back and you think about like your childhood programming, what have been some significant ahas that you've had? So definitely experiencing abuse as a child. Witnessing as well? Ex was your father violent with your mother? No, no. Just, um, just experiencing abuse from my mother. Uh huh. Um. So, it, perhaps almost as if when he started physically abusing me, it was, it was something I was normalized. It was normal for me. Um. Although I a hundred percent knew that that's not right. I shouldn't be in a relationship if somebody's physically abusing me. Um. And I, I believe the physical started way before it was any verbal or emotional in my eyes. With um, your mother with, or with your partner? With my with the partner that I was with. Um, with my mother, it was it was definitely verbal and emotional and and physical abuse. Um, and it and at fourteen, I ran away from home because of the abuse. And so, all of mm. that, of course now realizing all of that played a big part of me accepting abuse from someone um you know I, I never dealt with that I ran away at 14 and where did you go I, I went to live with my father okay. and um he's we're, we're very much similar people fun and loving and friendly and outgoing people um so it wasn't I never experienced any uh, abuse from my father, but it was um, through my mom and that affected me. And we don't know it affects us. You know, you don't mm -hmm. know it affects you. You just don't. I mean, and I think that's why we are having podcasts and starting these conversations early. Perhaps I should have been in counseling at 14 when I ran away. But clearly my, my dad. <laughs> and, but of course, my dad didn't know. Yeah, to. Yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, I have, a, have, have, a, have to take care of another kid. Let me, <laughs> you know, I'm going to work extra hours, you know. So I should have been in counseling. I should have gone through something to help me cope. Mm -hmm. or, or get through that stage of life. Cause that's a hard stage. It is. And then we just oh. internalize all that shit. Yeah. We keep it. We hold it in. Um, we think we're doing great. And then something comes into our environment and changes it, triggers some things. And we either put up a boundary or we don't. What was the work that you did? Your, the inner work that you did that got you to a place where you could attract and be in a healthy relationship? Well, in shelter, we took a lot of classes mm -hmm. and um, I was in shelter for nine months. Mm -hmm. And so I went through emergency shelter and then they have the transitional shelter where you are beginning to live on your own, uh, but you're still 
in a shelter setting. So things are still communal, but it may be a house or it may be an apartment building, but there are still, you know, communal areas. So I continue to, I continue to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was through a lot of things. I think I did a lot of things. I, as far as exercise, I joined a dance class that met on Mondays and Sundays or I started going like two times a week. I started one day a week and then I started two times a week. So that really, really was helpful. A lot of the, and I I could bring my daughters and the people were really nice and they would just play with my daughters on the side of the dance class and they just wanted me to dance. So I thought that that was perfect Mm -hmm. because I don't know any people like, oh, no kids, you know, but so that was a part of my healing, doing a lot of uh, dancing um, and the classes because, um, Another part of the transitional housing was the classes and they, they taught heavily on self-sufficiency. So a lot of the self-sufficiency classes from there, and we had to take parenting classes and just a lot of different, because if you are a parent, then, you know, making the best decision to put your child in and, you know, all of that stuff. So it's a lot of, it, it gets really detailed. So the class, I think the classes, the self-sufficiency classes was where I began to say, I am not going to put up with the person if they do this or if they say this or if these things are not in alignment of what I have going on for myself. Um, I'm not going to put up with it. Um, I was I was celibate. I was not looking for a relationship. I didn't want a man. I didn't. It, it just wasn't anything that I was focused on. And I literally just for that period literally just focused on me. So I took about a year to just personal development. I'm in the the self-sufficiency classes. I'm still doing groups. I'm doing dancing to just help. I didn't realize how important dancing was. I just did it because I love to do it. Um, but I didn't realize how important it was to get all of that energy out or that those, those negative, you know, things and, and releasing those endorphins in my brain. I didn't know how important that was, that I was doing that. So it's almost sometimes I was doing the work and didn't realize that I, that the effect that that work was really going to have on me. I didn't know, oh, I'm dancing, you know, twice a week and um, it's for like 90 minutes and, you know, yes, I'm looking great, but it's doing something, it's working on my mind. So that was um, a big, big part. Um, and and uh, at, through all of this, I am being stopped. So keep in mind all of that (sighs) learning boundaries that wasn't a word that I think we use it way more now I don't they probably used it in those classes I just don't remember it being used as much as now and so I had to change my telephone number Uh I didn't want to do that because I'm a I'm in business and I have clients and how are they going to contact me so changing my phone number was a big part to my boundaries um and I decided to um, stay and, and get in my, I had to get my apartment. I had to get a place to live permanently. So choosing that, which school district, because I'm now going to have a school age child and really, I had to get my whole life in order. So all of those things, that was a big thing in being stalked. And I mean, stalked physically, like um, almost being, I, I, he didn't follow me to the shelter but very close to the shelter I remember panicking um so you know the text messages the 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 20 calls back to back to back Mm -hmm. to back to back and this is happening multiple times a day Mm -hmm. um so 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 yeah so going through all of that work and 
So one thing that I realized that I was doing and now I can put a name to it was I just kept affirming myself. I kept telling myself that you are safe, affirm my value and my worth and begin to water my mind with positive words because I had been called so many bad words mm -hmm. that even when I started dating my husband, he would always say, honey, honey. And I would look at him and what? You're like, I'm not, I'm used to bitch, bitch, bitch. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that's what I was used to. And I was like, and I remember it was probably like, I don't know, a couple of weeks after six to eight weeks we were dating. And I finally looked at him. I said, who is honey? I don't know what honey. Who it the didn't, hell is honey? <laughs> who the hell is honey, right? Because I wasn't used to being called good names. Mm -hmm. um, and it stemmed from childhood, mm -hmm. from my mother. Let me be very clear, from my mother mm -hmm. who didn't use good names with me. And now I'm in this relationship and I wasn't called good names. And so now this is, you know, I'm in a healthy relationship that I'm still trying to, I, I, I know what a healthy relationship is mm -hmm. and it's lining up, but I don't get this honey thing, right? I don't, why are you so nice? And I kept waiting for my husband to turn into a monster mm -hmm. and he's never done it. He's never did it, but I kept waiting because I was like, I'm going to date him. And mm -hmm. soon as I see what I look for red flags, mm -hmm. anything through a text message, through a call, I wanted a red flag to pop up so I could block his number and not talk to him again. I just, mm -hmm. and that was how I was in, well, I didn't have any other relationships, but that was just my mindset. Ha knowing what red flags are, knowing what I should be paying attention to and what I'm going to allow. You can't talk to me crazy. You can't treat me bad. And through text message, through voicemail, on the phone, in person. And those were things that I said that this was Chantel needed to have. I need to have peace, mm -hmm. which I started having the first night at the shelter. And, um, and even as I started dating my husband, it was peace. He brought me peace. Um, and it's just, it's just who he is. Um, and so, so you're in this shelter for a year, you meet him, you start dating, you're rebuilding your life. So mm -hmm. yeah, you're in this, you were just in this three-year relationship. However, you've experienced years of trauma, right? It's not just from this mm -hmm. relationship. And as yes. we know, it takes time for things to come to the surface. And also a lot of the times when we are in a relationship in which we feel safe, a lot of the time that's when stuff feels safe to come to the surface. Mm -hmm. So I'm yeah. just wondering, cause like, that's the thing too. It's like, it's not like, it's not easy breezy, right? This is like a continuing process. So have there been, you know, when was that? When did you leave? 2008? 2008. Yep. Okay. So it's 14 years. Like, have you hit some emotional bottoms over the past? Absolutely. Years? Can you talk absolutely. about some significant ones or one in particular? Cause yes, absolutely. One in particular, and it didn't happen until I got married mm -hmm. and I'm safe. Um, my life changed significantly. I became a stay at home mom. And I would say maybe uh, two or three years into our marriage, Mother's Day would come around and I don't know. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say that 
okay, in my brain, Mother's Day is coming. And maybe I did because it's, okay, what do I need to get for my mother-in-law, my grandmother, my aunts, you know, my cousin, so you know, other women. did you just cut your mother off completely? You had no relationship with her? Did she pass away or? My mother passed away when I was 22. Okay. Um, I did, I cut her off in a sense completely from about 14 yep. to 18. Yep. So we didn't talk. We didn't, it was I didn't know how to talk. I don't know how to talk to someone who's um, hard to talk to at that time. I didn't, especially at 14 and 16. And I'm dealing with my own things. I, a teenagehood is just tumultuous anyway. Um, so, so Mother's Day would come around. So, yeah, Mother's Day would come around. And again, I don't I feel like I just wasn't consciously thinking about Mother's uh-huh. Day because it'll begin to happen in March uh-huh. or April uh-huh. or June and I would begin to cry and I didn't know why I was crying mm-hmm. and I thought that I was crying because of where my life was mm-hmm. and all that I've been through but I started paying attention I was like oh my god I'm having another breakdown it's close to Mother's Day why am I experiencing this mm-hmm. and um having to deal with that and so like you said that that stuff coming back to the surface and so dealing with that Mm -hmm. um, that grief that grief and I would say for the last 14 years um not that I'm crying because this Mother's Day was really good um and a less few ones have been but you know as a mother you think of am I doing a good job Mm -hmm. Am I like my mother? Mm-hmm. Well, when I was 14, I said I would never be like her. Mm-hmm. But as you begin to raise your children, you realize that some of the things that your parents, who they are, it comes out in you because it's it's been it's already been ingrained in you. Um, so and I see I still haven't necessarily pinpointed what exactly, you know, sometimes frustrates me, but just working through it, just processing it um, and sitting in that moment. Um and realizing, okay, I'm, I'll get triggered by this. This is happening. And then just process right there in that moment. What's happening? What emotions am I experiencing? How can I work past this? Um, and I think, too, as the day approached or I'm going and spending time with other mothers, other friends and their mothers, that bothered me and I had to admit it to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bothering me and... Will I have this experience with my daughters? I have to wait 30 years, you know, I have to wait until they're, you know, a full blown adult and, you know, we can take trips and, you know, go to the nail salon or, you know, things that you would do with your mom um, or go to the movie, you know, just different things. Um, And so those things just bothered me. Um, But processing it, um, processing, standing, staying right there. And I think once I admitted it to myself, like that's was a part of bothering you that they're spending time with their mom, people, you know, it's a big holiday, a lot of stores sell a lot of products. Mm-hmm. And here you are with no mother, but I also know if she was here, I wouldn't be buying would anything. Pro- <laughs> she would probably not be, I think she I think she began to change as she was dying because I was around her as she was dying because I felt like she's still my mother. Uh-huh. And here I am. I was seven months pregnant with my first daughter. And I hear I, I was thinking, I just want good to come to me in my life. And I, I'm going to take care of this woman. She was not nice 
in the beginning. But once she realized I am your rescuer, I'm giving you a shower today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She became to, you know, she she came around after mm-hmm. over over time and closer to the end of her life. She, you know, people do change. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, too bad she wasn't this person, you know, mm-hmm. years ago. Um, so I think maybe. I don't know because of her illness. I don't, we probably wouldn't go out, but then also, I don't know. How would she be with my kids? Would she treat them good? Would she be the mean grandma? (laughs) You know, I don't know, but I'm in a much better place with that um, situation as it relates to Mother's Day. And this year I really said, and and so every year I'm just really, Hey, what does Chantel want to do? You you know, um, and just focus on that and not try to get caught up in, well, this person is doing this and these friends are going here. Oh, they took their mom to brunch. Like, don't get caught up in it. If you want to go to brunch, go to brunch, plan a brunch, you know? Mm-hmm. Or if yeah. you want to sit on the couch and not do anything, do that, right? Yes, that's my favorite. I love <laughs> I mean, on Mother's Day, yes, I get Leave it. me the hell alone. Um, yeah. So t- talk some about your your adv- advocacy work. So when did you, you know, start making this part of your purpose okay so my husband he asked me to tell my story to just share my story um to who early on to early on um not to him (laughs) um because he just yeah uh you know some guys Mm -hmm. he he's he's rocking with you with whatever you have going on so um he wanted me to share with women at church mm-hmm. and just women we knew. Mm-hmm. And I was still shameful, full of guilt, like the church is going to judge me and people are going to look at me funny. And then they're going to say, why did you marry her? You know, I'm, th- I'm thinking this. I have all of these mm-hmm. assumptions in my head. And he asked me for about eight years, eight years. So it was eight years wow. after we got married. Um, and then um, this was good because it had been enough time for me to again go through that journey that process those feelings building up all the stuff because you're in that safe space all the stuff with my mother coming up am I a good mother you know going through all of that stuff and one day in January 2016 I decided I needed to give back and I I volunteer a lot of places in different areas with the kids and church but I wanted to give back and I decided it was going to be women and then I asked myself, can you share your story? And it, at this time, I li- I'm literally talking to myself. And I said, I can tell my story. Mm. And then I started thinking, well, what are you going to tell about your story? What do you feel comfortable telling? And then I volunteered at a shelter, which was actually, ironically, the same shelter that um, that I went through. Wow. So I went through their volunteer program. It's totally new people. Oh, I meant to ask you, do you stay in contact with any of the women that were, you were in the shelter with? I do have two contacts. I do have two contacts. We're all married. We are all, um, one, one woman, she got married. She had children. I was, I went to her wedding. Um, we are all just living. We all are living a a healthy life and and in a healthy relationship. So, so, so far that I, you know, that I know we're all. Okay. Sorry. Um, so continue. I started. Yes. No, that's what I, I love about that. Um, <laughs> so you go to, sh- to share your story there. 
yeah, so I go, I knew they're going to ask right away, can you share your story? So I, I had to share it right there on the spot. And from there, how did that I feel? Actually, how did that feel? I think I was numb. I wasn't, I don't know. I feel like I was numb. I don't think I was like a fearful or super anxious. I think I was just kind of numb. Mm-hmm. Um, like reporting a, a story in a room with volunteers. And so, yeah, just kind of tell her how I got to shelter and, you know, how I made it out um, mm. was really, you know, a big part of my story. And then um, I went into their speakers bureau for the shelter. So I didn't actually do, I thought I was going to pack bags and get clothes and I didn't do any of that volunteer stuff. So I began to do work in speaking. Mm. Um, and so I went a part of their speakers bureau. They have a lot of events that they may have a survivor come and share their story at. And so my journey started there. I wrote my first book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote that in nine months and, and it's called decisions. Mm-hmm. It's a fictional story. And from there, I, from after I wrote the book, I was like, okay, this is my purpose. This is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And I just be- went out on that journey but what I realized was that domestic violence, people don't want to talk about it. They run away from it. Oh, they say, oh, you poor girl. Glad you made it out, hon. And then they pat you on the back and go away. And so from there, I was like, oh, my God, what could I do to show people or talk to get them talking about it without just walking up to them saying, hey, I wrote a book about domestic violence, you know, and I created a production and it's called survivor testimony and monologues and it takes you through a series of six monologues that walks you through a day in the life of a victim of domestic violence Mm. and that production we started in 2018 we did 2019 and then the pandemic happened but um the reviews that we got from there um it is it does it is a triggering production and so it brought up and I, I, we have counselors and therapists there um, as our safety team for any individual experience. So it brings up a lot of emotions. And some of the things that I heard were people, um, I guess that I would say they went back in there. It brought up memories from their childhood and when they witnessed abuse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And some people were 60 and 70 years old and mm-hmm. said it took them you know, all those years back and they remember experiencing abuse and, um, um, mm. and then for the now, and then for the individuals in relationships, it really, um, it really opened their eye. And then we had the safety team there to, to help them and to talk through with them because some people didn't realize, Oh my God, I am being abused mm. because mm-hmm. again, stuff is so normalized. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that is what we do. Um, In addition to that, we have a healthy and unhealthy relationship workshop for teens because teens have a very skewed or blurry vision of consent and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so in 2022, that is one thing that our team is focusing on is consent and boundary with teens because they just don't seem to have any. And it's okay. I'm walking down the hall. I can pull your hair. I can push you. I can throw your book bag over the stairs. Um, And it may, and of course it may say, oh, that's because she likes you or he likes you, but 
we have to teach children other ways to express, you know, how they feel about somebody rather than physically touching someone without their consent and then realizing, hey, if this person said no, and I know they came to your house, you actually need to let them leave because they changed their mind Mm -hmm. and it's okay. And then reassuring students, hey, I know you went to that person's house. You talked on the phone and said you were going to maybe have sex with them or do some things with them. And you realize when you got there, and even if you are, and I tell the teens, even if you are naked and you decide, I don't want to do it, you get up, put your clothes on, use your words. I'm not ready. Mm. And that person, they should respect your words and you have the right to get up. Nobody should force themselves on you. And so, um, and then teaching what are red flags of abuse, right? Uh, maybe help, and then also helping them realize these are the red flags. And then let's check that against your behavior as you're interacting with your, mm-hmm, your girlfriend mm-hmm. or your boyfriend, because the girls are just as aggressive mm-hmm. as the boys. Mm-hmm. And to me, in my eyes, abuse has no color. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if you're what color you are. Race what, you are. I mean, yeah, what gender, gender you are. Yeah. Gender. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you identify as. Mm-hmm. Abuse has no color. Mm-hmm. Well, you are doing some amazing, amazing things. Seriously. Doing the Lord's work. Thank you. How Thank does it you. feel? Yep. Are you able to, you know, sometimes I feel like, I don't take enough time to like, really just like sit in and feel the gratitude of like what my podcast, like who it's touching. Are you able to like, you know, are you able to take time for yourself to, to feel that not honor yourself? I am working through that. And and I, you know, and as you, we go through life and our personal development and on our journey, Mm -hmm. we come through two different stages. And I believe that I'm now at a place, um, that and I and I guess I've been working on it since 2018 but really had the idea in 2018 wrote stuff out in 2019 I said I was gonna do it in 2020 but the pandemic happened and now I feel like I'm at a place where I can actually apply it does Mm -hmm. that make sense Mm -hmm. so now my husband um he's on board and um you know, just making sure, hey, I need your help in this area, communicating with him. Hey, I'm going to I'm taking time for myself on Saturdays between this time. What are your golfing days so that I can build in my time? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I am heavily working on is time blocking for Chantel because I do need to sit in it. I need to 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 reflect. <laughs> yeah, reflect. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? Well, you can find me at mffproject.com as well as go on over to Instagram, Chantel underscore branch underscore speaks. And you can find Identity of a Woman podcast on any of your podcasting platforms, whichever is your favorite. Pick one. We're there. Pick one. Pick (laughs) Pick one. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was great. Well, that wraps up today's episode. I hope you heard something that you could benefit from that helps you on your own journey. As always, I know that you did or there's something wrong with you, okay? (laughs) Thank you again to Chantel. Thank you for being 
so vulnerable. And thank you for all the important work that you do. Truly so needed. Um, so check out the show notes for links to all of her shit. And I think I'll be on her podcast soon. I'll, uh, I'll post it on my Instagram when, when that comes up. Um, I have a couple of interviews that I'm recording this week. So you not sure what I'm going to play next week. Um, and then for this shit show Saturday, you're getting a Brian and no, it is not one of my Brian's. Although I told him, I think that it would be funny if we told people that he was. Um, how would that throw you guys off if all of a sudden you realize that both of the Brian's were in the Patreon group? I really would love to have a Brian's episode. I, I reached out to Brian number one to talk to him. Um, Brian number two, he's, he's, well, I think they're both still in active alcoholism. So maybe if they get sober, that would be really fun. <laughs> Uh, that's all I got. Join the damn Patreon. Give me a damn review. Oh, I got, so I got, um, I had a negative review. I don't typically like to, I try not to talk about them, but I'm going to talk about it right now. Okay. So she said cursing. Yes. I think that I do curse. I'm aware that this is, um, not everyone's cup of tea. Totally get this. But then she also called me a rambler. I don't think that I'm a rambler, guys. I don't think I've ever been called a rambler. Is this me rambling right now? I don't think so. But I asked a few friends. Am I a rambler? Yes, I know I'm a cursor, but I don't think I'm a rambler. Um, Okay, so please hit a girl up. I love to hear from you guys. And I will see you all next week for another episode of an adult child that's going to be super cursy and super rambly. It's going to be super raw, super vulnerable. I'm super excited for y'all to hear. It's going to be a goodie, I promise. Let it all go.